Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are recording a mini series episode on men's mental health with my good friend, Corey, who I know I like to say I don't have any friends, but I actually have known Corey's little brother since I was in the eighth grade and I am just in love with him, but he's like the only boy I was never in love with. And so I love to say that he was like the only boy I didn't have a crush on growing up. Um, but Ryan, Corey's little brother, and I were friends for a really long time. And so it's been fun to grow up and um, get connected with Corey. And Corey wow. is here today to talk about what he knows about mental health and his journey. And yeah, Corey, intro yourself. Tell us who you are and why mental health matters to you. Well, my name is Corey, and men's mental health, but mental health in general is just important because it affects everyone, whether I'm having a day or you're having a day and we come our paths cross, you know, it's important to, for me to be, you know, in touch with my feelings and my emotions. So I can try and do a good job of saying, hey, I'm having one of those days, just kind of a step back or just removing myself. And, you know, are not going anywhere and just kind of sitting there and trying to focus on it. But Yeah. And you actually have, I think, a unique relationship to mental health through the last few years because you were working in a hospital during the pandemic. Yes. And that's a gnarly ride. <laughs> yeah. A gnarly ride for a lot of reasons, like your personal reasons and then the people who are coming in to receive cares reasons. And it's... A lot, but, um, you know, I, I really did enjoy my time doing that. Um, I think I, uh, well, you know, I'm not in it anymore, but I, I kind of burned myself out. But there are times when I reflect on it and go, wow, there were a lot of amazing experiences, whether they were, you know, <clears throat> because I, you know, directly connected with someone or I got to be a part of a team that, you know, helped somebody metaphorically talk them off a ledge or whatever crisis that was going on everyone was coming into the ed was having you know an end of the world crisis whether it was actually end of the world or not but it was quite a unique experience and i am very thankful for it <clears throat> yeah that's right being in the yeah because you were you in the emergency department for like your whole tenure at the hospital no i was uh up on a cardiac unit uh, for the first year. And then I transferred down to the emergency department, which the emergency department was, has always been my goal when I started becoming a CNA. I mean, I remember talking to you about CNA stuff at the beginning for me and my, the, the, the end goal was always the emergency department. And, uh, I succeeded in getting into the emergency department and I spent about four years down there and met a lot of amazing people, got to work alongside of some amazing people and uh, <clears throat> got to see a lot of interesting, interesting things coming in the door, whether it was ambulance or uh, into the front door. <laughs> yeah, and that's a place where, I mean, you were working in Vancouver, Washington, mm. so it's mm. not exactly Portland, but it's not that far off, right? I mean, we see so much mental health crisis and like... Um, a lot of social kind of issues intersecting with our folks that are coming in the emergency department. So that's like, I mean, you're in it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have people coming from, I mean, we, we had people who were visiting this area and from various parts of the country or various parts of the States and um, that were coming in for, you know, a crisis. And it was like, well, <clears throat> we're going to use all our, you know, everything we have available to get you pointing in the right direction or help you. And, you know, it was, it was interesting seeing some of the things that we could do or rather couldn't do. And it was kind of heartbreaking because it was like, you know, if there was nowhere for them to go, they would either just sit there, stay in this, this emergency department for a while and or a long time waiting for something or someone. And, there are some times where it's just like this person is just sitting in here and they're, they, they're, they're getting worse. They're not getting what they need. And uh, it was 
people who work, you know, in your line of work too, are just like underappreciated. Oh my gosh. I have so much respect for, you know, stuff that you guys do in like some of the social workers I got to work with. I mean, not all heroes wear capes and those are freaking heroes. And actually a few of them, you know, and even some of the work that you get to do, like that was, that was actually something that I was considering to do with my life. Cause it was just the opportunity to connect with people and, you know, have a chance to try and, and help them out. That always seemed like something that I would, you know, really like to do, but it's not in the car. You the do moment. that. <laughs> you, and that's the <laughs> thing right, is that we all do it in our own ways. Um, I actually, my personal therapist who I've been working with for many years now, it's probably been five years now, which I don't always recommend people stay like that long with a therapist, but my therapist is very, very skilled and she's been very good at being able to transition and grow with me so that we could continue to like work together. But she, um, before she went full-time in her practice, she was a ED social worker at Southwest maybe, Mm. um, in Vancouver. And during the pandemic, she started a program where she was, um, offering hospital staff who were working on the front line in COVID emergency appointments or intakes where she would text her clients who were stable, like not in any kind of like mental health kind of crisis or something and say like, I have a person who needs to get in that's like working on the front line in the pandemic at the hospital. Would you be willing to give up your session time and reschedule for next week or two weeks out so that I could see them? And I remember thinking like, This is such an amazing program. And also how cool that I get to say, one, I'm healthy enough to miss my appointment and give it up to somebody who like really needs it. So yeah, that's that that right there. What is, is amazing on so many levels. I mean, like you were saying, I'm stable enough. I'm in a good place. I can reschedule. That is amazing. And then to give that up to someone who, you know, is in a moment of, crisis is absolutely amazing i i think i reflect back on um that time and i'm like i wonder it's always those things like hindsight 2020 i wonder if there were times where i should have been like raise my hand saying i need i need help right now or you know i'm sure there were times and um probably a, a couple of them and uh you know with that able to reflect back on that i think to myself okay now moving forward if there are times where i'm like oh if, if i question it that should that's my sign that i'm like i should reach out and just you know reach out to someone and whether it's a therapist or just a friend or someone that you can confide in and go hey something's going on right now i don't know what it is and just kind of lay it all the pieces out there and trying to piece something together and go oh i do i need to get something because if you don't that's where you just you know that's where more and more problems can come or you know you didn't have a problem but now you have several and it's like oh bummer totally yeah you know that actually reminded me i don't know if you know this but um well i know that obviously you and i really got like reconnected during my divorce because i'm sure you know like you you're one of the only people that i know that got divorced as young as i did and so like yeah you were so loving and so supportive and just like understood what I was going through. But do you know that your mom sent me a few messages and was like, I read everything that you've been going through in your divorce. And I just want you to know, like, I'm here for you. And I'd love to like, go get a coffee with you. And she was just like, like, you know, sweetie, like, it's going to be okay. But like, I'm so proud of you for doing what you need. And I'm like, I haven't seen you in like eight (laughs) years. And here you are in my my DMs. Yeah, that's my that's my mom for sure. You know, it's it's funny because, you know, when I went through mine, it was. I mean, I was like 23 and it was so. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I I had no idea. And I felt there was like nobody I could connect with because either they were like several years or even a decade or more older than I was going. I haven't gone through something like that or I mean, it was just a lot. And I felt like this this like sense of shame that was like, I got to get this taken care of. I need to prove to the world 
hey, I got my shit together despite this little hiccup. And at the time, uh, you know, Oliver was like two. And I was like, I got to, you know, get this, get this kid taken care of. And it's so, it's, it was so daunting for me because even like the friends that I had close by, the, it was like something that we weren't like prepared to, you know, deal with. It's like, <clears throat> it was, it was uncharted territory for me. And cause I don't think I had had, I don't think I have anybody that close to me that had gone through anything like that yet. And it was like, well, when I saw that you were doing one through that, I was like, you know, I thought in my head subconsciously, probably I'm like, Hey, you know what? If you feel alone right now, you're not. And it's not even like, Hey, I can relate to you on, on certain levels, but it's like, if you need something, you need to shoot the shit. You just need to vent, you know, here's my number. And then just call me up. And I, I, I try to be like that for people, regardless of what the situation is and be like, Hey, you're just, you know, you're just, you know, down give me a shout, you know, give me a chance to connect with you and, you know, just shine some light on how cool you are and whatever struggles you're going through, you're going to get through it. Totally. Yeah. That was, it was so nice because I felt like you really treated me like a human and like, I mean, and not that everybody doesn't or didn't, but like, I felt like people were like, maybe afraid to say the wrong thing because yeah. they, none of my friends had gone through a divorce yet. Right. Like I was the first yeah. one going through a divorce and also like yep. you and I have the luxury of having parents that have been married for over 30 years. Right. And so yep. like, we're the first ones in our families, like yeah. getting a divorce. And so it's just like, yeah, I felt so isolated. And I just, I like, I felt so grateful to just talk to somebody else who'd been divorced. And it was, it was interesting because it was like, I, I, I remember vaguely, you know, you and Ryan doing uh running start and being at my mom and dad's house to working on homework or whatever. But I don't, I don't think I ever really like talked to you very much or talked to you both while you guys were doing your shit. So I was like, you know, when we connected again later on, it was like, I feel like I've known you for like a long time and um, you know, and like in person and face to face, even like this, we haven't really done this very much. And it's like, but I feel like I've known you for years and I can totally confide in you with stuff that is like, you know, someone in this situation is kind of like, oh, hi, I don't really know you, but we can slowly get, to, but me, I'm just like, jump right into it. It's the problem. It's easy. <laughs> no, I love it. <clears throat> so, yeah. And it's funny too, because like, um, for everybody listening, Corey's wife does my hair and so she'll say yeah. things and I'll be like yeah like I knew so-and-so back in the day I knew so-and-so's like not so great girlfriend back in the day or fiance yeah. like like just all of this stuff and it's she's just like oh you really know the family and I'm like yeah I know the family I've just been kind of like missing in action for a long time so um tell us a bit about like your mental health journey what has it been like for you kind of in your life well, there definitely have been, you know, moments in my life that have come up that have been very, you know, it's dramatic, but earth shattering. Um, I mean, the car accident was pretty life changing for me for, you know, obvious reasons, but it got me, it gave me a chance then to really stop and like really focus on myself and try and get myself to a better mental place. You know, and then a few years later, going through the divorce, another chance to really, you know, take take some time to self-reflect and um, learn some coping skills and some communication skills. Communication is so important with whatever kind of relationship it is. You know, when you're you're younger or when you're like a baby, you know, you, you communicate by screaming and having a tantrum. Well, as an adult, I still do that sometimes a lot more than I like to admit, but same, I just threw myself same. under the bus, but nope. Same. Um, yep. <laughs> I'm not alone, <clears throat> but learning to communicate with other people, whether it's a spouse or a significant other, or, you know, shit, even your kids and, uh, or coworkers, whatever. Hey, I need some, I need a moment. I need some, I need some help. You know, um, it's interesting because I think when, when Kyle passed away at the end of March in 2013, I don't think I did any 
any counseling, which I honestly thinking about right now, I probably thought about before, but even in this moment specifically, that it, it kind of surprises me that I didn't do that because that was probably the probably the biggest moment in my life. You know, I, I'd had, you know, family members pass away. I was younger, but I do remember it vividly. And but Kyle was such a um you know a big part of my life and uh when that happened it's interesting i i i'm pretty sure i didn't do any kind of therapy at all and i'm not saying that was the right thing to do i mean it was the right thing for me at the time um i didn't like do anything that would be considered therapy whether it was you know talking to friends or making music or going on like nature hikes or whatever i didn't do any of that i kind of just kind of just I think I just used some skills that I learned previously from other things and tried to you know use them put them into action during that time um it's funny I'm I'm just sitting here now thinking about it going like wow I don't I didn't do anything like drastic Uh, I think part of me I was I felt a need to you know grapple with it on my own and but also like paying attention to how other people were feeling about it. But then I wanted to, um, one of the things I have done is I talk about them all the time. I mean, my whole right arm is tattooed with star Wars. People are like, Oh, you a star Wars fan. I'm like, yeah, but it's an RIP tat. And like, there's a part on my elbow that I didn't even know what it was until like the day I got a tattoo to my arm forever. And I was like, Oh, that's what it's called. Okay, cool. So I'm a fan, but like, I wasn't, I'm not a fan, like on the level like Kyle was and not that I need help starting conversations, but that arm has been a great conversation starter, whether it was, you know, regardless, I had a patient when I was working in the emergency room was an older female and she was like, I don't like tattoos. And I was like, well, okay, well, this is my body. And then I started wheeling her back to her bed and was kind of explaining the story. And she got in there and she goes, you know, I don't like tattoos, but that is a pretty amazing thing you did there. And that, that friend of yours seems pretty amazing. I'm like, absolutely. Like, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and I, I I try to talk about Kyle all the time as if he, you know, still lives here and is still alive. But um, I think that has been the main thing that I've done that's been therapeutic is talking about him so much that it, I mean, it's still hard. There are times where I get kind of choked up and emotional about it, but I really... I mean, Finn wasn't alive when Kyle was here, but we talk about him so much. He sees the moon and he's like, oh, hey, look, dad, it's Kyle. I'm like, that's right. We see classic cars. We see certain like colors. Boom. Anything Star Wars. I mean, Kyle will come up eventually. And I think that right there is just that that has been the the biggest help for me is uh, talking about it. But I think just just talking for me helps me through any kind of you know, rough situation. So that's, that's what I do. Yeah. And you know, it's, um, it's interesting. I remember, I remember when Kyle died and the impact that that had on like your family system and your best friend's family system. Right. And like, y'all are so y'all are family. Like, yeah, this it's, it's not best friends. This is family. And, um, to hear you say that you felt like you had to, maybe grapple with that loss or process that loss independently to me, that's like the epitome of men's mental health, right? Like absolutely that being trained to feel like you have to do it alone. You know, and I think one of the things I realized was I kind of just let things happen. You know, I just, when an emotion came up, I just allowed myself to feel it, you know, and then, I felt myself like start to get kind of emotional and then kind of like straighten up and go, Oh, we gotta, we gotta keep going. And the more times that would happen, I just get tired and I'm like, just let the floodgates open and just let's get it out of your system and let's, let's process this. And it was interesting because I allowed myself to think, Hey, this is okay. Let's just, let's do this. And I don't know if that was from, you know, previous, uh, previous, counseling therapy sessions or what um you know i think i would try and write stuff out 
And I think for me, it was like, like a conversation that I'd have with him or, you know, with someone who else was struggling. And sometimes like in the moment, I'm just like, I can't speak. So I would just write it out and like, oh, that, and then that just would help me process it. But that right there, the writing out things, that, that was a skill that I had learned from a therapy session in the past. And I still try and do to this day. And, uh, you know, whether it's like a rant of how fucking pissed I am or just how overjoyed I am. Sometimes it's like you just take that moment to jot it down and it almost helps you appreciate it more, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. I think there's something really cathartic in physically writing, like not typing, but like pen to paper. Right. Cause it's this yes. energy transfer of like, your body to something real and tangible and it can't get deleted on accident or whatever, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, I just really believe in that process. Cause I use my notepad on my, on my phone all the time. I mean, that's, that's mainly where I write things. Now I have like a pen and paper, like journal thing at home, but usually I don't carry that on me. Like I carry my phone. So I just jot it down on there. And then if I, if I set aside some time, I try to write it down again on the paper. That's um, exactly what I do too. But it's, yeah, I'm not, I'm not carrying a journal either. <laughs> no, not at all. But then I like that process too, because it's like, you're processing it twice, right? Like I wrote, I, I don't like have like a poetry writing session where I sit down with like a coffee, you know, like, no, yeah. this shit pops up in my head and I'm like, this has to get out of my head. And so I put it in Absolutely. my notes on my phone. And then a month later, I, in it's, it's like 1am and I open my journal and I sit up in bed and I light my candles and I like transfer whatever's in my phone into my notebook. And then it's like, I'm doing it again, but I have a different perspective now, or I have new yeah. words now or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there are some times where for me, I don't, I don't usually, you know, go into like a, uh, you know, a sacred space or anything like that to, you know, write this stuff. I'll do it at the table in front of the kids, in front of my wife and stuff. Part of me, I think, especially for my kids, is like showing them, hey, this is something I wrote down when I was feeling like this. And I'm coming back to it. I'm rewriting it down. But I'm also like showing them this is a way to process those feelings because. You know, I have two boys and it's like, hey, you know, we have feelings. And, you know, my six-year-old, Finn, he'll get mad about something. It's like, hey, yeah, you have all the right to feel like that. Now let's do something and process this in a good way. All of the same thing. He's 13 now. And it's like, you don't have to, you know, be tough. You, If you feel like this, let it out. But let's, let's look at a, a constructive way so you're not hurting yourself or, you know, hurting somebody else or, you know, this is this is how I choose to process it. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you, but give it a go. You know, writing things specifically, that wasn't something that was the thing that helped me right off the bat. Honestly, it was listening to like crazy hardcore music. And then after my neck started to hurt from all the head banging, I was like, all right, let's try something else. So I eventually was like, okay, the therapist told me to write something down. Let me just try that. And then... I got to a point where I was like, fuck, I'm writing a lot. Like this, this seems to be working because there was a time where I was writing a lot and I felt like regardless of how shitty things were, I was like, dude, I'm fine because I'm writing this shit out. I'm saying things that I can't verbalize, writing it down on the paper. And it, that, that right there was so helpful. Like, absolutely. That's why I still do it to this day, even if it doesn't work right away. It, it eventually does because I have to get out of my head. Yeah, it cannot live in there. It cannot yeah. live in there because it comes out in all these other ways. Yeah. One of Absolutely. the things, one of the things that I like so admire about you and your wife, <clears throat> and it's fun because like I get your perspective through like DMs <laughs> and texting yep. and whatever, and then I go see your wife for my hair every like six weeks because I'm a high maintenance bitch and I get her perspective and it's really fun and sweet. And y'all are saying the same things, but saying it differently. But like, I truly admire that you are parenting and you guys are not shying away from hard topics. 
Like no. you were talking, you were talking about sex with the boys. You were talking about consent with the boys and you are normalizing those conversations. And you and I were not raised in that environment. Absolutely. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I, I can't speak for Katie necessarily, but I feel like, you know, in her upbringing, there were some things we just, you didn't talk about because I don't think her parents were equipped with the, you know, the way of communicating the stuff with their kids. And same with my parents. I think my parents were like, oh, we're open about it. But then us kids didn't know how to go, hey, mom how or dad, how do we talk about this? Because who the fuck wants to talk about that shit with your parents? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I, I mean, now it's different as an adult because you can kind of like, you can almost go about it however you want. And it's not like, you know, if it's inappropriate or makes them uncomfortable, which is kind of funny, but you can kind of like so just, funny, yeah, right? <laughs> but like, I can I can go. You know, I mean, there's things I understand now that I didn't um, that I could have a conversation with my parents about. Uh, I don't remember what movie it was. Oh no, it was I think it was Love Actually. I had swung by my parents' house, so it was probably it was probably around this time of year, um, and my mom was upstairs or something. And I came in. Have you ever seen that movie? Okay. Well, the scene that I came into was the, they were on the porn scene, the porn set. And I had never seen the movie. And I walked in and I was like, what the fuck is this? And my mom was upstairs like, ma, what are you watching? What the hell? And she was like, hi, I'm upstairs. I'm like, I know. What is this? She goes, oh, it's love actually. And I'm like, is that what it's called? And she came down. And You're like, that's like, not like, what they call mine. <laughs> I, I was like, oh my gosh. My parents have never said anything to me that I was like, oh my God. No, not even my mom and my aunt singing the Carpenters, regardless of what time of the year it is, in like perfect harmony. Like, no, that never embarrassed the hell out of me. But that movie coming on in my parents' house, I was like, what the fuck is this? I don't think I can ever come back to this house i grew up in this house and now it's tainted i love that that christmas movie it's great i think it's like 20 years old now i think i saw something about that and i just i that was so funny but it's funny because even if that i mean if if that's what they were watching great it, sex is such a like a taboo topic such an awkward topic that it that cycle just continues and i think you know katie and i have I mean, we don't have to sit around talking about sex all the time, but if it comes up or if we show some affection and stuff like that, it's not like we're like hush hush about it. You know, I'll kiss her in front of the kids and it's not like a thing. You know, my parents did that, but you know, we wanted to have a, uh, a uh, open communication with our kids. So, you know, we could try and, you know, teach them the stuff instead of them figuring it out how, either how we did or through porn on the internet or through their friends or whatever. I mean, it was just like, Hey, you know, um, we, we, we understand sex because well, you're here and it's like, we can, we can talk to you about it in an appropriate way because, you know, so many things can go wrong with sex because if it's not understood or talked about, you know, the expectations that people have in their head or boys have in their head or girls have in their head, it could just create a clusterfuck for everyone. Totally. And that's not fun. Well, and particularly when you're raising two boys, right? I mean, yeah. the, we don't need to go on a whole tangent about like gender and all of these things, but yeah. we can assume they were born boys and we can assume right now that that's how they identify. Yes. It seems pretty consistent, but like yes. when you're raising two boys, you have more responsibility to 100%. be very clear about how you communicate, particularly around sex and like talking about sex or particularly, particularly around consent and how you're talking yes. about sex and how you're like messaging that like sex is not just for you. Yes. It is as much, if not more so for your partner, you know, yeah. and that was that was really missing from my, I mean, that was completely not present in my messaging about mm. sex when I was a child. Yeah. I think, 
um you know i think for me when i think back to mine it at some point it was it didn't come out they my parents didn't come out and say consent 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 it was like they went well, nobody did way. that in the 90s and the early 2000s no, that's not absolutely. what we heard but and it was interesting because i think maybe i believe it or not i am pretty shy and it's like when when anything comes to anything romantic like that i sit there and think about it and go mm, is that really what it is and i like overthink it i overthink it i don't just jump into whatever now that 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 that's stressful to me so for me it was like yeah in my head it was always like we're gonna get consent to the point where it's like yes that's what we're doing and i'm like are you yeah. sure Yes. And then, and Stop then talking. she's like, "Well, I'm not really horny anymore." <laughs> yeah. like, oh, fuck. That was that was the opportunity. Well, uh, I'll just sit here and wait for the next time. But I think, but communicating things to like my kids, or if I had you know nephews that were at that point, because I felt like there were conversations that I had with like my aunt or my uncles um, that I didn't have with my parents, and it wasn't necessarily about sex. It was more about like. Um, just other life choices like um, drinking or you know um, stuff like that and um, I always was like I thought to myself uh, if my my kids can't talk to me I hope that there's somebody that they can talk to that is like an aunt or an uncle like I had um, and, I, and I think I feel the same way for any of my um, all my nephews are all like seven and younger but my nieces or you know eventually as my uh you know, my nephews get older or any of the other people that come into my life that could look to me for, you know, um, someone to confide in. I, I had that with my aunts and my uncle that I'm like, I would totally do that for them as well. Um, just finding that safe place. I remember communicating to Oliver. It wasn't even about sex. It was about um, just like finding somebody, whether it's Nana or, you know, my sister or someone over on uh, his mom's side, find someone that you can talk to because really all that matters is that you have a safe place that you can talk to somebody about whatever it is, you know, whether you're trying to decide between Nike or Adidas or, you know, whether you want to ask this girl out or you want to give her a flower and then, you know, maybe a kiss on the cheek, but like talking to somebody so you can verbally process what you need and then, either confide with that person to, you know, plan your next, you know, action or kind of hear it out and go, mm, I don't need to do this or, Oh, this doesn't feel right. Let's try it like this. Um, you know, just finding someone to talk to is uh, such a good thing. And, you know, with, when it comes to sex, you know, I, I hope that my kids will come and talk to me if they have questions. Um, I'll try not to make it awkward. Um, I, I, the cards are stacked against me because I'm their father, <laughs> but you know, I can always hope maybe I'll, maybe I'll wear a funny mask or I'll put some face paint on or something like that. I, I don't even know, but, um, I think every parent hopes that their kids will come and talk to them if they have questions about something. Um, having been on the kid end of it and now the parent end of it, parent side of it, it is awkward, but you know, it's, it's an important conversation and whether the parent brings it up themselves and kind of like makes the kid uncomfortable for a minute and just talks about, um, the birds and the bees or whatever those things are, you know, whatever that is important. And I think sometimes like for me, I think, okay, if the opportunity doesn't, isn't going to present itself, like I'll make the opportunity, but do it in a way that is, um, you know, respectful to the child that I want to scar them. Um, I don't want to push them away. Like, Oh my God, dad, quit fucking talking about this. I don't want to, I, I don't want to talk about this right now. Okay. But yes, but you're at that age and it's important that you need to be aware of some stuff. And, um, but then also I think as the parent, like I, I, I might have some dialogue, but I would definitely reach out to some other people be like, Hey, how should I segue into the sex talk? Or, Hey, they're older now. How can I revisit this subject? And you know, talk to them about it in an appropriate way, in a respectful way, but in a way that is, you know, uh, hopefully educational that they'll get something out of. Yeah, for sure. 
And God, I can't believe Ollie is born. I remember when y'all went into labor, we were in fucking PE and Ryan is like, it's happening. And I'm like, oh my God, it's happening. Um, at least I think that's how I recall. Maybe that's how I found out y'all were pregnant. I don't know. But like, you've been doing this thing for a long time and like you've been co-parenting, right? So, cause how old was Ollie when you got divorced? Like probably two. Three, yeah, two, almost okay. three. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Anyway, he was, he was two and a half. Okay, so you've been co-parenting for ten years. I have to imagine some of our listeners are also in a co-parenting dynamic. Can you talk about how that impacts mental health, like specifically for you, obviously? Well, I'm biased of my own opinions. Um, <laughs> But you know, it 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 it's co-parenting. There's another parent involved, and as long as I keep the ending goal in my head, it makes it easier. Even if it's like, oh, we're not doing what I think we should be doing. Um, I've run into a couple of situations where if I'm like telling the co-parent what we're gonna do, it's like resistance. And with this individual in particular, she just wants to be included. And it's taken me a long time to realize that. You know, I don't know everything. I think I do. I think I fucking walk on water. But in this situation... I think you walk on water. (laughs) (laughs) And and there's plenty of water on the ground, so technically I can. But, you know, with with, with the co-parent, I've really learned that I need to, if I have an idea, if I include her in on it, you know, that, that there's going to be way more reception to that idea than like, if I've already made the decision, obviously there are some situations where it's like in the moment, make the decision, blah, but like, if it's, Hey, let's, let's look at the school or, Hey, let's look at this sport, you know, just making the choice or the decision. I sure as hell wouldn't like it. I don't like it. Um, I try to step back and remove emotion because that will totally fuck up everything. Any progress, look and say, how is this going to benefit or affect the child? And then try to either bring up another option or if it is pretty like, okay, I, I like that. Let's, let's see where this goes. Um, I have learned to, um, I can't, I can't dictate everything. And, uh, but I also can't let the other person dictate everything too. that, that co-parenting is, is the, the challenge is challenging, especially when you add, you know, significant others into it too. So there's four that can be very, very interesting. And that's been very interesting. And, um, but I, I really try and step back and go the collective here our main purpose is to serve this child and get them, you know, to be successful. And um, we can have reasonable expectations and we can have, you know, boundaries and stuff like that. Um, But when we go to communicate between the co-parents, you know, it really just trying to be, Hey, I hear what you're saying. This is what I'm thinking. Really just trying to be, um, as neutral as you can. I mean, it's easier said than done. Fuck, let me tell you that. But I, I've been really, really trying to, you know, hey, if something's coming up, let's let's talk about, like, what, what are your thoughts? What are your options? Okay, cool. Now, that has taken a long time to get to. Um, I, I really just had to learn that, listen, bud, talking to myself, you can't, you don't get to dictate everything. You don't get to control everything. Whether you think it's the right thing or not, you know, there is another portion part of this party here that wants to contribute. And for the better of the child, that's what you want. That, and I totally realized that. And, you know, I think as, if I can, you know, present opportunities to let the other side, you know, really contribute and make, uh, make some decisions and collaborate, man, that's so much better. Not only for me and my head, or but for the child. I mean, shit. He gets to do this, or he gets to go here because you know, mom and dad don't aren't together. 
our co-parenting in a cordial way, but in a good and healthy way. And really just trying to be um, open with my communication, but communicate. Because there are some times, there have been times where I've tried to just go and it's like, no, no, no. We need to communicate with the other side here and get on the same page. And uh, again, easier said than done, but that's what I strive for. Yeah. And Ollie's at the age too now where he's like an active part in it, right? Like yeah. he's going to make his own decisions and he probably like can legally decide what he wants in terms of living now, right? At, at his I, I, age. Think so. I don't know, but I can't remember what the age is anymore. Um, I but like he's, one... he gets to lead it. Like he gets to say what he yeah. wants now. And like, yeah. it's not like a five-year-old, right? I mean, he's no. a freaking teenager almost. Yeah. And there are times where I'm like, okay, yeah, that's what you want, but let's, let's, this is my perspective on it. And as your dad, I'm going to tell you this because I get to, and I'm going to, and I'll give him like the perspective I see, like, do you see how there could potentially be a problem? Like you want that, but do you really want that? Or do you need that? And give him that opportunity to, you know, make that decision and then, you know, deal with, or, you know, live with the consequences um, you know, he's made some choices that he's had to, you know, live with the consequences. And, um, you know, I think giving him that opportunity to do that is is important. I was actually talking about this with Brian last month about, you know, him making decisions and then having to deal, you know, to live with that. You know, like, hey, this this is life. You know, you get to make this decision. This is what you're going to deal with now. You don't like that? Okay, well, let's 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 think about some of the decisions that we make before you get to that place, so you can hopefully you know feel better about your decisions. And uh, it was actually a really good conversation now with Ryan because though his daughter is only a year and a half, you know, at some point he will get into a situation where you know his daughter will make a decision, and he's like, okay, well, that's your that's your path, and. You know, just on that right there is like, oh man, that's hard. Like, yeah, you're 13, but like, like you still need your mom and dad to help you make decisions. And sometimes it's like, no, you don't. And that's one of those other situations in life where I realized, oh man, I am a control freak. Probably some anxiety <laughs> there. Um, oh yeah. I, I, I should get Ryan on the podcast because he lives such a unique, a unique life compared to us. But oh. I remember because um, when y'all got pregnant and married, we were freshmen. Mm-hmm. And so like, <laughs> and Ryan and I are funny because we have always known who the fuck we were. Even yeah. when, even when I have, strongly disliked myself and that's putting it sweetly um even when I have fucking hated myself I've always known who I was and I've always had very specific beliefs Ryan is no different Ryan Ryan is Ryan Ryan has always been Ryan I've always admired it still do I have to wonder what it's like for him now being a parent because he watched you struggle, right? And I know that he wasn't always thinking you were a perfect dad. Well, first of all, nobody thinks that about anyone ever, right? But I wonder now what it would be like to talk to him about parenting and see if maybe like, he's like, oh yeah, I think I was a little harsh when I was looking back on the co-parenting dynamic. I think there are times where we, he'll be like, you know, like, I know what that's like, or you know what that's like. And I'm like, yep. And there'll be times where it's like, you almost only need to say it. You're like, he, he, he can either just bring something up and it's like his way of saying like, I know what that's like now. I have a different perspective. I think, you know, Ryan for sure, even before he became a parent was always supportive. And, uh, Oh, he loves you. Like, yeah. And admires you and respects you. And I mean, you're his big brother, but like you guys have, he has always loved you. What's cool about each one of my siblings is like, I, 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 even though I'm the eldest, I look up to each one of them individually for things and I admire them individually for stuff that I'm like, oh, I, I'm just, I'm really glad that we're all really, really close. And I think, um, you know, where Ryan's concerned, when he was telling me 
when he first told me that he was going to be a dad, I was like, dude, that's awesome. And I, the first thing I thought to tell him was, Hey man, I know right now you're thinking I got to take care of this and this, and that list just is like continuous. You're going to have to stop for a second, sit down, take a deep breath, kind of self-reflect on what you need to take care of for yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be taking care of shit. And I was like, I wish I would have known that when I first became a dad. And I tried to do that with when, when Finn was um, on the way. And then when he came, I was really trying to make sure that I'm like, okay, I, I can't take care of everything. One, I have a partner that can help me out with this. I have extended family and friends that can, that want to help too. And just realizing that I don't have to do this all on my own. That right there is like, that's how you do it. Well, and I have to believe that's, I mean, you were a teenager when you guys had Ollie. You were what, 20? 19? I was 20. 20. Yeah, when he was born, I turned 21 like a month and a half later or two months later. And so that's the difference, right? You were finally yeah. a grown up when you had Finn. Like, yeah. you had a fully developed frontal lobe. Like, yeah. you know, now we know, <laughs> now we know that like we don't have to do it all on our own. But at 20, yeah. we were like, I have to prove to the world that I'm an adult yeah. and I'm a grown up. Yeah. And that's Absolutely. the difference. Absolutely. And I think, you know, even, even though I was like, I know it takes a village, but it's like, you don't know how to utilize that village until sometimes it's when you look back and like, Oh, okay. And then you moving forward know, Oh, when I get into a situation, whether it's the same or it's different, I know that I have a village that's sitting there, standing there waiting or that's doing things that you don't even notice until you turn to them like, Oh, you're already doing something. Fuck. Thank you so much. I mean, that, that, that saying it takes a village when it comes to kids is so fucking true. And I remember telling that to Ryan too. I was like, look, I know you're in Peru and I'm up here. In I was going to say he like actually lives in a village. <laughs> <laughs> up on a mountain. But I'm like, bro, it takes a village and you have a hell of a big village up here. And you, you you can't even understand it yet, but let me just tell you, you have a village and um, I can say that I, I, I can speak to it because I've experienced it twice. Like this village is fucking amazing. And you like that kid is going to be taken care of no matter what. You are going to get all the help you need whenever you need it. And I also knew, I was like, look, I know you're going to need some help and you're not going to say it. Part of that is our personality. Um, part of that is just, you know, you know, the man's got to take care of everything, but like, I'm going to be watching stuff and I'm going to think about things from like when I was in that position or what I needed as a parent. And I, I can go, Hey, I, I know you're going to need this, or I know you might need this. This might be helpful. And either if I can't do it, talk to mom and dad or talk to, you know, aunts and uncles or my siblings and go, Hey, let's check in on Ron with this. Let's send him this or whatever, you know, and it'll be cool. You know, when, my my folks get to go down and Emily get to go down and see him, you know, next next week or later this month. And they can kind of like see things and then come back and go, hey, this would be really cool if we could do this. And then it's just like flicking the switch. Let's get it done. Yeah, Ryan, when so this last go around, I was like hoping he would reach out, but he didn't. I know there was a lot going on, but the last time before I was divorced, um, he actually came to my house in Portland. Then he got to meet my ex-wife and he was like, Sarah, oh, awesome. you got to come to Peru. Like you have to come to Peru. And I was like, at the time I was not ready for what that meant, you know? Yeah. And now I am like, I feel like I'm ready for what that means. But in terms of just like the experience and the culture and the travel and all of these things. Um, so I should get connected to him and just, just check in. It's say, been probably like a year since I've talked to him, but he's like, definitely do that. Yeah, he's like, we, you know, like, I don't experience this because I find friendships to be very difficult. I have a lot of shame and I isolate a lot and I hide a lot. But like, he is one of those people that truly I'll go 10 years without seeing and we pick right back up and he has no judgment and I have no judgment. And it's like, we're in fucking eighth grade math class all over <laughs> again, you know? And, um, yeah, you, I went, to Tom, you went to Thomas Jefferson too. Yeah, I transferred in oh. the eighth grade. Ryan was okay. so mean to me. That's how <laughs> we became friends. Him and oh, um, him and uh, uh, 
Travis, um, like made fun of me in geometry or whatever, eighth grade math class. And, and then, um, and then, yeah, we, we became super good friends our freshman and sophomore year because we had a ton of classes together and we did some experimenting together. Um, yep. First time for a couple things that, um, your parents and my parents would be very upset about, but, um, That's, it's funny how you become friends that way. I think uh, one of my good friends was, uh, I was done similarly. Um, I mean, I, I had gone to school with her sixth and seventh and well, I mean, all through high school too, but um, it was, I think probably in eighth grade when like she became one of my best friends. Like she's one of my sisters now <laughs> and I'll never forget. I want to say we were playing basketball or something like that, but you know, in soccer, shoulder-to-shoulder contact, going for a ball is fine. Especially if you knock them down, it's like, that's that's okay. But in PE, that's not okay. And I think I did that, but I, I think I checked her into the bleachers. And, like, now I'm like, fuck, that was so rude. What a dick. But at the time, I was like, <laughs> sucker. But it was in eighth grade, and it was like, I did feel kind of bad afterwards. And I, I remember trying to hey you okay all right sorry about that but after that she like i said she's become one of my 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 best friends so that's that time that that time in our life when we're like oh well you know you can start making those those forever friends or some of those forever friends so yeah i will never forget this one time because i like i have such a weird like this has always been the case i have such a weird kind of like style where like I'm I I think people think I'm pretty feminine but I'm like really not like I'm like such a running shorts and like yoga pants and sweatshirt kind of person and I'm not a morning person right so we're fucking first period like whatever Ooh. yeah and I pretty sure I would say 85% of high school went to school in just like a sweatshirt and jeans or a sweatshirt and running shorts or a sweatshirt and fucking sweatpants or whatever, just like an athlete. And one day, I don't know, got a wild hair up my ass, I guess. And I I was probably like 16. I came to school with like a dress and makeup on and Ryan looks at me and he goes, you look like a girl today. It's like, you know, Ryan, I am a girl. I know we don't, we don't think of each other as like people that are any different, but I am a girl and you are a boy. So, um, anyways, Corey, what, I know. So cute. What is your kind of like advice for men and men's mental health? Like what, if, if you want one takeaway for this podcast, what would it be for folks? Feel those emotions. I mean, I, I mean, if you're, sometimes you got to cry it out. Sometimes you, and I know everyone is going to deal with certain situations differently, but you got to face it. You got to acknowledge it to yourself. Do yourself the, the, the self-respect of going, yeah, I feel this. It fucking sucks. Now let's figure out how to get through this. Whether it's reaching out to somebody, a therapist and doing something like that, or you have a group of friends that you can confide in. And, you know, I like to say do something healthy, but if it's like y'all get together, you know, meet up for beers and you kind of just, you know, have a bitching session or something like that, just or a venting session to do that. It's so important. I, I mean, I, I've learned, you know, over the years to, I, I have to process things verbally to get shit out. Cause I might go, I might feel this way. And I say it out loud. I'm like, God, that's not ridiculous. That's not what it is at all. But, like, if I go around just not saying anything out loud, <clears throat> then I can totally, you know, do it myself a disservice and not, you know, figure out the issue. I have to verbalize it. And whether it's with my spouse, with my friends, with my family, with a sibling, with you, I have I, that's how I have to do it. And I think, you know, I try to teach, like, my kids, you know, you have something, let's talk about it. You know, you don't want to talk about it now? That's fine. We'll we'll try about it a little bit later. Trying to, you know, face it and deal with it, but in a constructive way. And sometimes that constructive way 
is going to be very chaotic at first. Then you can kind of go, okay, now let's go back and relook at it and kind of go, okay, it's not as bad as we thought it was, or, oh, it is worse than that. Okay. Then let's, let's take some steps to, you know, do something to make it a little bit more manageable, but really just, you have to, you have to do that. And I, I, I mean, I know not everybody wants to talk about their feelings. I understand that. And it's, and everyone's going to do it in their own way. You just got to really focus on yourself for a minute, figure out what works for you. If it's again, talking to somebody, talking to a professional, talking to your friend, I, I think that's, it's important. And I think, you know, our culture teaches us just to, you know, grit and bear it, but that that's, that's ridiculous. And I, I it's not constructive at all. I, if I try and just suppress it, it's going to eventually blow up and it can be over something so small, so small and it just <laughs> blows up. No, I, I feel like you really just, you got to talk about it. And that first step is scary and it's hard, but man, it can do you and everyone close to you such a world of good. And if you've never tried it, what's stopping you from trying it now? You know, I never had an example. I, not Growing up, I didn't think my parents had, to, you know, any reason to go talk to a counselor or a therapist about anything. You know, the first time I was ever really aware of it was probably when I was, you know, a late teen. But I got very lucky and fortunate with my first experience with it that made me go, oh, I'm an advocate for this. I will push, not push like over the top, but I would definitely recommend it to people. Absolutely. And yeah, it might take some time to find someone you drive well with, but it's worth it. It's worth it for yourself. I mean, first and foremost, take care of yourself. And that I think is a really good first step and taking care of yourself. is just finding someone you can talk about whatever issue with. Totally. I love that. Well, my friend, I just fucking adore you. It's so great to see your face live. One of these days, no. I mean, we're only like 30 minutes from each other. So I keep telling Katie, we're going to get together. We have to get together. Yes. And then I'm so bad at scheduling things, but I just, I'm so grateful for your time. And just, I right, love guys. watching Thanks your for the family grow. Yeah. Well, stay tuned. I mean, music, my music's coming out. I'm trying to get the kids involved with helping me, uh, you know, get some like, video footage so i can compile it together for a quote-unquote music video but you know i don't i don't like to do things all by myself i like to try and incorporate them into it too so it's not just like oh dad's in his corner working on his music and i'm over here doing nothing no i try to get them involved with it because you know i mean oliver is playing uh the trumpet and band or whatever and uh you know i try to get him to do some recordings with me too and then you know finn shows a little interest. I'm like, here, here's the camera to start, press record and just whatever you get, we'll, we'll use it. And, uh, it's, it's fun, you know, and when I'm a big rock star, Katie can do my hair and makeup and it's just a big whole big family affair. Yes. I will never forget <laughs> seeing you and Ryan and your band live downtown. Oh, Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. So when you're pop culture, maybe I, fuck, I don't remember me, well, probably actually, pop the culture, little band yeah. in the back corner. Yeah, what was that? We we all or, had, like, fancy the sodas. House. Yeah, pop culture then. Okay. Now it's <laughs> in the Irish like cafe. 16. Yeah, I'm like, mom, please, I have to go. Please let me go. You know, like <laughs> I barely have yeah. my driver's license. Yeah, here I was, like an adult, like 21 or whatever, 20 whatever it was, and I was like, well, y'all can have soda pop, but I can go get a beer. <laughs> It was like, no, I got to go home. My kid has to go to sleep. Dad life. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag love it. Yeah. Um, well, where can people find your music? Didn't you just start like a new project? Yes. Um, it's on the Insta. It's the underscore evergreen band. Um, and then there's other things too that I'm working on, like trying to work on uh, well, you, you mentioned SoundCloud. I don't even remember the whatever's for the SoundCloud, but um, Instagram, SoundCloud. Um, I am working on a uh, YouTube page too, but I'm trying to get a video to put up there first. And then uh, Ryan is is kind of helping me do some mixing and editing of the songs. 
but um, that's down in Peru. And then so we're just like, we're learning how to send each other shit back and forth. And then once it's, you know, uh, good enough, then I'll post it on YouTube and all the things and eventually learn how to do a Spotify. I think that's. I love it. Well, I'll be sure to put all the links in the bio show notes for folks to go check it out. I um, can't wait to see what you do and just love following along from, from very close, but afar. Yes. And likewise. Hi friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the bold, beautiful borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey and we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.